Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So, let me just read this. This is a news release. Nearly one quarter, 22% of Canadians, say they are completely out of money, saying there's no way they can pay more for household necessities, according to a new Ipsos poll conducted on behalf of Global News. Those in Ontario, 25%, Quebec 25%, are most likely to say they are completely tapped out. Concerningly, women are nearly twice as likely as men to say there's no way they can pay more for household necessities. In addition to the 22% who cannot absorb any further price rises, another 32% say that when it comes to inflation, listen here now, when it comes to inflation and the rising cost of household necessities, you know, food, clothing, transportation, shelter, they would have to make major changes as to how they spend their money in order to pay for the increased costs. This was from January the 25th of 2023. Not October the 22nd, but January the 25th. 22% tapped out and the rest of the numbers, and the inflation numbers. Now, the Bank of Canada argued this past week that Canadians' perception of inflation is wrong. Canadians' perception of inflation is wrong. To which I responded on Twitter, or X, Bank of Canada states Canadians' perception of inflation is wrong. My perception was even though cannabis is legal, it's not consumed at the BOC during working hours. How are you, Dr. Cam? Hi, Roy. Um, Getting more and more angry as you quote some of those things from the Bank of Canada, because not only are what, what they're saying is not just insignificant, but it's incorrect. When they say things like people's, when they say things like people's uh, perceptions of price increases and inflation are wrong, how can they be wrong? How can perceptions be wrong? People have perceptions; they're not wrong. They're correct by definition. Whether they match their empirical data is frankly ridiculous, right? The disconnect is so well earned for these hardworking Canadian families, Roy, because what's going up? Food, gas, rent housing, interest, or in other words, all of the things that people need. So it's the items that people have no choice to buy that have gone up the highest. So what on God's green earth does the bank expect people to say? Do they expect people to say, well, because things are coming down super slowly, they should adjust their expectations super slowly? This is the disconnect why people hate politicians and government bureaucracy, because it's so disconnected with actual people in society, Roy. I don't know where to begin. You know, uh, Professor Kim, I was watching an interview on an American channel a couple of days ago, and uh, there was a highfalutin politician being asked about economic issues and the problems in Congress. Then, you know, the potential that the U.S. government may not be able to come to an agreement on funding itself. And he went on, blatherdy, 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 and, um, you know, things are not as bad as you think. Everything's good. We'll be fine. And I'm looking at the car he's sitting in. So they had a camera in the car. I don't know how they managed this, but he was being interviewed in a car, and he was on the phone. And I thought, 
That's a Maybach. That's not even a Mercedes 500. That's a Maybach. This dude is driving around in a quarter million dollar car telling Americans things are fine. You know, they're fine for you, buddy, but they're not so fine for the person who's sitting at home saying, I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. They're not so fine for the person who, who emailed me in, in, in the last hour and said that she and her husband had negotiated their, 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 um, uh, their credit line down uh, 3%. And then they knew that it was going to be a very temporary fix. It saves them 130 a month. But they know it's going back up again. But they were just trying to survive. And this dude sitting, I swear, he was sitting in a Maybach giving a lecture. Deplorable. It's deplorable because, you know, you say, who are these people? These are the people, Roy. 80% of mortgages in Canada have not been renegotiated at new rates. Those are the people. How about the efforts that the government has had to increase disposable income, which are none? Those are the people. And so you have people saying, and they're right, I may need another job just to pay my present bills. That's a great idea in theory, only one problem. Now, as we see inflation working through the labor market and reductions in productivity, and every single macro indicator we see flat, there's gonna be less jobs not more jobs. These are the people, Roy, hardworking people that want luxuries, extreme luxuries, not a Maybach, Roy, a house, an apartment, clothes, food. These are not luxuries, but they become luxuries under this government. These are the people now who are struggling. They don't want vacations, Roy. They want to put food on the table and be able to pay their rent or their mortgage. And increasingly, they cannot. And feed their kids and clothe their kids and take care of their dogs. Um, so what's going to happen? What's your call next week? What's going to happen? Is the interest rate going up again? I actually don't think it's going to. I think it was. Now, I have no insight into this. I didn't tap anybody's shoulder at the bank. But I actually think the geopolitical situation in the world is going to play into this. I think that a lot of central banks in a lot of industrialized nations will not want to rock the boat right now. Um, I think that the bank would like to raise interest rates. I think they would. I think they've come out. I think they've been as transparent as possible to say we would like to raise rates one more time to get down to some um, number, probably 2%, maybe even 1.8% as an inflation rate. But I have a feeling now with the instability in the political situation in the world that not just the Bank of Canada, but many banks of fill in the name here, Roy, are going to hold the line until the world just looks a little bit more stable. You're a macroeconomics professor. So from the macroeconomics picture, as you look at what's happening in, in Israel, and we just spoke with the Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez from the IDF, made it very clear what their objective is, what they're going to do. So how does this play out as far as macroeconomists are concerned, when you look at what's happening right now, it's, it's, it's fairly concentrated. But if it spreads out, becomes a regional conflict. If it spreads out and the Americans become involved, and uh, the lieutenant colonel told us, the Americans don't have those carrier task forces um, off the coast of Israel for show. They're there saying, you want to test us? Try it. And you'll, you'll regret it. So what does that do to macroeconomics to global economics. What does that do to it? 
Anything? There's really, there's really, yeah, there's really two ways to look at this. Um, the first one is that, for better or for worse, we are not a huge trading partner with Israel, nor are we massive trading partners with the Middle East, if you remove fuel. So I don't think you're going to have to worry about there being massive price increases in a massive number of goods and services, Roy. But of course, on the horizon is what's going to happen to the price of fuel. And mm -hmm. that, I think, is the real X factor to Canada, which is far away from the Middle East. But the real X factor for our country is what are we going to have to pay for fuel if things don't cool down in the Middle East. But as a general rule, and I'm no expert in development economics, but macroeconomics is pretty uh, pretty simple on what I'm about to say, which is uncertainty is never good. Economic uncertainty, political uncertainty, never really does much for anybody. Um, it provides just more and more layers of uncertainty. So the reality is, is that our economy is fragile today as it is for reasons that we've already discussed. And, and geopolitical uncertainty, be it the Middle East or anywhere else, doesn't make that any better. But in the short run, I would say with the exception, and this is strictly just talking about prices, I'm not talking about lives lost or anything, I wanna be clear. In terms of prices that we are going to pay at cash registers outside of fuel, I don't see it being in the short run a real concern, Roy. Okay, so it wouldn't then be a situation where dominoes drop around the world and we all fall with it. Like, you know, when we had a, I suppose we still do have a supply chain issue, but when it was the main talking point, that a lot more things would have to go wrong before that became the case. A, a lot more things. And that's the point. That's why I prefaced my comments with the short run. The short run, we're looking at the price of fuel. Yeah. If you want to go on into the long run, well, then you have then we've got to start going into the data and seeing, OK, exactly what is and what percentages do we import from the Middle East and how are those things going to be affected? Because, of course, they're undoubtedly going to be um, affected. But compared to fuel, those things are what we call second order small. But you know what? The next time we speak, I'll dig up that data for you and let you know what those goods are. So when we started, thank you, when we started, I mentioned the Ipsos poll that was done for Global News on the 25th, or was released on the 25th of January, where 22% of Canadians said they're flat, flat broke. Flat, that's one out of five. More than one out of five, flat broke. So if I look at the MNP, LLP uh, survey, their quarterly survey, Consumer Debt Index, Canadians' debt outlook has reached the most pessimistic point since tracking began five years ago. Reflecting on their current debt situation compared to one year ago, more Canadians rate their current situation as much worse, uh, and more say their debt situation has worsened compared to five years ago. When asked to look into the future, more believe their debt situation will be worse a year from now. Five years from now, more believe it will be even worse and fewer feel it's going to, fewer still feel it's going to improve. Does, does this become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Can it? It is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but the problem is, Roy, is there's only one way to break the prophecy, and that is to give people a port in the storm. And right now, our government, our federal government, hasn't given anybody any port in any storm, if you add up the efforts of the Bank of Canada and the government of Canada, which, by the way, are supposed to be separated at arm's length, but that arm would be pretty short right now, 
They're not really giving Canadians much to hold on to. They're not giving Canadians any real perception that in a year from now, their disposable income is going to go up. And why is that? Why do Canadians feel so down? Well, if you take the sort of the, the obvious, which is there's no money for most of these families to do anything more than just survive, and, and even that's becoming harder and harder. What are they looking at? They're looking at things like food and gas and rent and housing and interest going up and up and up. And you can't have things double and then come down 10% and go, look, we're doing our jobs. That's, you know, people aren't stupid. Canadians aren't stupid. And the Bank of Canada can't sell that anymore. So to me, until somebody stands up and says, we have to increase disposable income by reducing taxes, reducing carbon taxes, reducing excise taxes, and actually putting money back into people's wallets, you know, what do you expect people to think? What would what would you hang on to at that point? You know, the um, it, it's fantasy. It's fantasy believe, to believe the economy for people on a micro household level is going to get better until they see some money in their wallet and their government and their Bank of Canada has done nothing to lead them to that belief. So let's stay with politics for just a moment. I'd like your thoughts on this. Conservative Party leader Pierre Polyev is urging the finance minister, Christian Freeland, to reject the proposed RBC takeover of HSBC Canada. To a lot of people, that's just that's just alphabet soup, and it's way bigger than we can understand, one bank buying another one. Hell, I can't get into that because I'm trying to put food on the table. But how do you interpret this situation? Is Mr. Polyev correct? Is he incorrect? What are the... What are the upsides? What are the downsides of such a merger? You know, it's funny. Uh, I don't want to come out of the proverbial closet, but Mr. Polyev is starting to make an awful lot of sense to this observer. Um, the reality is Royal Bank, they have a proposal, right? $13.5 billion to take over HSBC, right? Is it a good idea? Well, let me just throw one more statistic at you, Roy and Canada. The six biggest banks in our country control 90% of all mortgages in Canada. So how can it be a great idea to reduce the number of banks in our country and increase that type of concentration, right? All you have to do, if you don't want to get into fancy language, three words, loss of competition. You want to know what happens in this country when we lose competition? It's met with higher costs across the board, higher job losses across the board. The Competition Bureau, who, by the way, said this was a good idea about a year ago, are full of it. They have to be. I don't know what they are talking about. Their only argument, their only thing they can stand on, Roy, is to say, well, maybe international competitive, international competitiveness goes up if our banks get bigger because they become bigger player on the world market. There's some evidence to that. But, you know, let's go back to what we've been talking about. Common folk, hardworking people. They don't give a damn about that. They give a damn about having more options with respect to their mortgage, more options with respect to their car loan. And this is nothing more than giving people less options. Why on God's green earth right now, when the economy is tanking, do you want to give people less options, which never results in anything more than higher prices? Roy, Mr. Polyev is right. Stop this. It is the wrong policy, wrong time, wrong argument, full stop. You know, Professor Cam, you mentioned uh, in your last um, explanation, loss of competition. And I will always be able to very quickly point to a perfect example of what happens when there's loss of competition. And it happens at so many street corners for, you know, large street corners. 
in, in Canada, where there used to be a gas station on corner one, a gas station on corner two, another one on three, and another on corner four. And a couple of them were independent, and the other two might have been owned by oil companies. And then over a relatively short period of time, the independents couldn't withstand the pressure, and they disappeared. And so did the competition for the price of gasoline. The, the independent couldn't undersell the, uh, the, the major anymore, and they, they disappeared. And so we drive down the street. I mean, I looked at that this, this morning. I was driving down the road, and I thought, okay, so buck 54.9, same intersection, buck 54.9. Buck fifty four point nine, a buck fifty four point nine. I'm sure that's just coincidental. You know what? And what makes me sad is that companies lie. Uh, you have big companies, and I, I maybe I probably shouldn't say their names, but let's just say the telecommunications industry uh, and people that provide uh, cell phone service. You know, they're very quick to say, "Well, what we have here are very strong companies with very strong networks that rarely go down." Sure, we also have the highest telecommunication costs in the world, the world. And, and it's it just, it's befuddling to me how they come out and make these claims about their stability and their this and their that. Uh, show me an instance where competition has resulted in something bad, Roy. Competition is choice. Competition pushes the supply curve out. Competition brings down price. It has, it, it, it's just, it's really, it's common sense. And I know that Mr. Polyev got good mileage last week out of speaking about common sense. But sometimes there is common sense. We don't need less companies in Canada. We're small. We're a pretty small economy. But we're also economies that are built on a lot of monopolies or what's called duopolies, which is when you have two okay. major players in the market. If you want to bring down prices, Roy, more competition compared to less. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.